Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Admit Mid. I'm your girl, Nettie. And I'm your girl, Dee. And today we have a very special guest. We have Dr. Price on the phone. So do you want to go on ahead and introduce yourself, Dr. Price? Tell him what you do, who you are, how you got to where you are. Woo! Okay. What you do, who you are, how you got to where you are. Well, you that can tell like us that how you got to where you are <laughs> later, because we're going to ask you all those questions anyways. Yeah. So, okay. I'm excited. Nettie and Dee to be on your show. I am Dr. Teresa Price. I'm the founder of National College Resources Foundation, which I'm also the founder of the Black College Expo, Latino College Expo, Students Think STEAM Expo, HBCU Combine, football and basketball, and it goes on and on and on. Now all virtual, so here we are. I know. It is so weird to think about how everything is so virtual right now with COVID-19. Um, we do want to do some check-ins. So kind of, we'll start with you, Dr. Price. If you want to tell us like what's kind of been keeping you busy um, during quarantine, if anything's okay. been keeping you busy. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. We have been, you know what? I think about it. The first thing you do is you have your mouth open like, what the heck is going on? Mm-hmm. And you try to wrap your mind around it. At the same time, you're trying to be safe and healthy because you don't want to get it. And you don't. You just start thinking about everything. And then you get paranoid and then you get all these things. So between all that and then at the same time, you start thinking about what you do every day. And I thought about my kids, the students that we serve and how mm-hmm. can, what are we going to do to help them? How can we help them? What's going on? Oh, my God, the students that are in situations that are not good. School was their way of getting away from it, and now mm-hmm. they're in it every day. So what do we do? And so immediately we had an expo that was planned in D.C. like uh, three days. When we found mm-hmm. out we were there getting ready to set up, and then we found out we couldn't do it. That was like March, you know, in March. And then we had Atlanta right after that, so we had to think all, we're trying to wrap your head around all that. And so what we ended up doing was hosting our first virtual online Black College Expo. And it was, uh, you know, the first one was April 17th. We had over 3,000 people on. It was really good. It was so good that all the colleges said, can you do it again? So we did it again. Um, and it was like April, um, was it May 7th? Look, I'm so off on my days. May 8th. Mm-hmm. I know. May, I think it was whatever. May 5th I can't or the third. Think. It was like I don't remember. So much. <laughs> yes. Okay, so May 7th, we did it again. And then after that, we said, okay, what's next? And so then we hosted a graduate school expo. And that went really, really good. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> that went really, really good. So we had, you know, we wanted to do something for graduate students. So we did that. That went over really good, and then uh, we did, after that, we did a career expo, and we just did that May 27th, so May 22nd, we did that, so just think about it like this, Uh, April 17th, oh, the pandemic happens, we scramble trying to figure out what are we going to do, then we get, we go to do these expos, so we've done five virtual events, we just finished Wrapping up our June 5th, we did a national high school graduation for rites of passage for the black graduates. We wanted to do something for the black graduates. So we did that. It was really, really good. And so from there, 
we just finished. So now it's like, what do we do? So you said, have we been busy? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm sweating thinking about it. <laughs> So it's really good that you've been able to keep yourself busy. I know for some people in quarantine, that has been a difficult task. I know for me, it was not difficult at first. And then it became very difficult for like maybe a few weeks. And then now I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like I barely have time to breathe. I'm just doing so much all the time. So I'm trying to like, okay, I, you know, it was fine when I wasn't that busy in quarantine. So I get it. I've definitely been right now we're at work. We're in validation season. So we're just going back and forth. Validation validation season is basically when all the students who were admitted and said that they want to come to your institution, they have to send in their final official transcripts from all institutions that they attended. And then we just go back in and verify that they took the classes they said they were going to take and that they got the grades in there that they reported on their application and then that they maintained their GPA their senior year, or at least had the minimum 2.0 or 3.0 GPA, depending on the institution. And then once we do that, then the students kind of have this uh, full admissions to the institution that is not revocable, quote unquote. Um, it depends on the institution. They, they can still technically revoke your admissions if you do some other things outside of their guidelines. But for the most part, for grade purposes, they wouldn't be rescinding your admissions anymore after we validate it. That's good. Wow. Okay. And B, so Nettie, you have been busy too. It's like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's definitely been keeping us busy for sure. And then the podcast, we've done so many different interviews and then having to go back and listen to them and send the time marks to our audio engineer. And so, and then just coming up with the outlines. And so it's, it's definitely been fun though. And it's really cool. We actually interviewed Amir and his episode got released today. So it was, he had a really good episode. That's good. That's good. Excellent. Yeah. So it's been fun. So we're going to do a quick little icebreaker, if you don't mind. We're just going to ask you a few questions. The game is called Would You Rather? And then you just tell us which one you would rather have. So the first question. (laughs) (laughs) So the first question is, would you rather have super sensitive taste or super sensitive hearing? Hmm. Maybe hearing. Because taste, <laughs> if it's nasty, uh. <laughs> I know. You know what's funny is that I feel like we ask, we've asked a lot of people this question, and everyone always goes with super sensitive hearing. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I guess because I have super sensitive hearing and I could be really sensitive to noises, that, like, for me, I'd rather have sensitive taste. <laughs> oh, wow. If it's nasty, it's like, oh, my God, it's really nasty. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But then maybe you get to figure out what it is about, like, what ingredient it is that you don't like. Okay. Yeah. That's good. That's super sensitive here. Wow. Okay. So the next question (laughs) is... Wait, wait, wait. Now I want to ask, since we're on here and we're just enjoying people are learning, (laughs) so super sensitive hearing, Mm -hmm. you can hear, like, a pin drop. Is that like, you know, how people say you can't even hear a pin drop, you know, but. 
right? <laughs> That's what, for this question, yes, I'm not that sensitive. I'm sensitive to loud noises. Okay. So, like, for me, I wouldn't, I, it would drive me insane. But, yes, I, like, for this question, I would say, like, you could hear a pin drop. You could hear, like, a mouse really? <laughs> walking on cotton <laughs> or something. That's how I feel like it. If you had super sensitive hearing, like it would just be like you could hear every little thing. You could hear people talking about you. Wow. <laughs> when you come around me, I be, I love her. I love her. She's so awesome. I love her. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I already had the vibes that you said that anyways. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> okay, D next question. So would you rather lose all of your money and valuables or all of the pictures you have ever taken. Wow, you guys. <laughs> all of your pictures you've ever... Man, you want those pictures, but then you don't want to lose all your money. True. You mean you lose it? Like, everything's gone? Like, you have zero. Um, like, you wouldn't have any valuables and maybe, like... I don't know. I take it as, like, you maybe don't have any cash at hand. But it's not saying that you can't ever make this money again. Ooh. It's just saying you lost it all. Okay, I'm going to have to just go buy me some pictures. So, <laughs> <laughs> Or keep the pictures in the frames when you buy them, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Until you get some new ones. <laughs> yeah, because we've all been there where you'll have no money. That is not a good feeling. Right? No, yeah, that's true. Ooh, those college But days. I feel like you also get creative in your times where you don't have a lot of resources you know girl when mm -hmm. you're not you still get creative because you remember what it's like not to have anything <laughs> right <laughs> that's very true too. that is absolutely yeah. true okay would you rather be fluent in all languages and never be able to travel or be able to travel anywhere for a year but never be able to learn a word of a different language. I'm gonna be able to travel because you could travel. That's okay. You could do. You could smile. You could nod your head. I'm good. <laughs> you <wanna> travel. Uh -huh. <laughs> right. Show a picture. Yeah. Well, you gotta buy a picture. Remember, because we kept the money. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we'll buy, we'll buy the you stop to hear everything, so it's okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm with you there, though, because I feel like there's so much experience and so much culture that comes with traveling right. that, like, it's great to, like, it'd be great to learn all these languages, but if you never have anywhere to go and, like, use them and practice them with people who this is their native language, then it's not as fun. Right. No. Yeah, you know, I agree. Traveling is amazing. That's where you get your experiences. That's where you grow your mind. That's where you learn. You learn more traveling than you can learn in a book. That's where you can engage, mm -hmm. identify, relate, connect, love. It's just, that's just different. A language, you could learn all those languages, but if you can't go and be with the people or be in it, it doesn't mean anything. You can sit there and learn all these yes. languages, but what does that do? Right. I mean, I feel like you're traveling a lot it. for work, too, and doing <clears throat> the college fairs. Mm -hmm. Right, Dr. Price? Yes, I do. Uh-huh. I do. We travel a lot. So that means I can't travel. I can't do anything. And I I guess I'll be doing virtual. I don't know. Uh-uh. No. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I know the virtual. I will say, though, this is so off topic. The platform that you used, Hopin, the virtual college mm -hmm. fair, loved mm -hmm. it. It was 
so good, so phenomenal, way better than any of these other platforms that we've had to use just like in work. So, we, I mean, we mostly have used Zoom. And then I was on another, I was on another web conference and they used something that was very similar to Zoom. And Hopin was like the only thing that I felt like was like worth the money. So I've been trying to like get my like upper management. I'm like, you guys need to purchase Hopin and but all these schools spent so much money on Zoom already that they're locked into these contracts. Mm -hmm. And now all these schools have lost so much money that they can't really afford to spend that much money on a new contract mm -hmm. anyway. So well, you know what? If I'm you, hoping if you guys at I'm gonna say just as we talk, we have become like an affiliate of Hoppin. So if they're you know, we mm -hmm. might be able to do stuff for you that where it won't be really a cost. So, you know. Oh, yes. okay. Mm -hmm. That's that is good to know. Mm -hmm. I will I will relate that back to, yeah, <laughs> to my supervisor. We're doing their open house. We're doing their orientation. We're doing other schools. They're having other things. We've been doing it for them. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's good to know. Thank you for that, yeah, T. Awesome. You're, welcome, right. Nettie. You're huh? welcome, Nettie. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So the next question is, would you rather be in debt for $100,000 or never be able to make more than thirty five hundred a month. Be in debt for a hundred thousand dollars because if you make ten thousand dollars a month, you could pay me. <laughs> Trust right. me, we get in debt. That's... Owning a nonprofit and owning a business, I've been in debt way more than a hundred thousand. I know, and what I. Right. What I tell people, what I like about the, would you rather be in debt for a hundred thousand dollars or only make 3,500, like the 3,500 caps, how much money you could make mm -hmm. as far as like being in a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt, it doesn't cap how much money you could make. And if I'm a millionaire, you know, a multimillionaire, a hundred thousand dollars, isn't that much right. money. Right. <laughs> no. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not. When you start looking at your you loans know. and all that, trust me, they add up quick. Go get your loans. Look, oh, yes. look, you'll be looking, oh my God, what have I done? Yeah. <laughs> Right, like, oh my God, this is yeah, so that's why <laughs> be careful using that be plastic to... card because you'll look up. That's what's so crazy about swiping. You swipe, swipe. That's why it's the swiping. Mm -hmm. You look up and you don't have no money. Like, how did that happen? Yep, <laughs> and then you go back and look at all your transactions. Like, it couldn't have been me. <laughs> I did not spend all that right. money. And then you're it like, nope, up. that was me. That was me. Right. It was all me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can't say it wasn't me. Okay. That's true. They'd be like, we have the receipts. No, you yeah. don't. No, you yeah. don't. That's wrong. <laughs> I never did anything. You guys are wrong. And then you go back and look. Oh, my God. They're right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, that has happened to us all mm -hmm. before. Okay. So our next question is, would you rather be a famous director or a famous actor? Director. Okay. Yes. You want to talk about that? A because bit, as or... a director, you could you could do so many different productions. As an actor, you got to wait for them to choose you to act. As a director, so you can choose because you're the director. You're famous. Trust me, they chasing around Ava DuVernay because she's come up. You know, yeah. it's like she's an actress mm -hmm. or an actor. You got to wait for the call. You got an audition. Maybe you get it. Maybe you won't. As a director, you're in more control, and you get to put oh, stuff that I you didn't... want to do. I didn't even think about it like and that. Director, that was, you can always okay. throw yourself in it as an actress. Cause I should That is true. I did I did actually do that. I wrote a play in college and 
the second time we we did it, we did the performance, which was like, I think three years after I graduated college, I put myself in one of my favorite parts. That's actually like a really hard part to act because <laughs> you have to really understand the character. So I was like, okay, I just want to be in it, but I only want to be in this one part. Mm -hmm. So I did get to do that. Yeah, <laughs> and everybody's like, I want to be this character. And I'm like, it's taken. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah, I got it. That's yeah, that's me. And I, it only like the character you only ever saw the character once, so it wasn't like they were super like big, you know, character and had a really big part. Okay, so our last question, D, go ahead and take so it. So, would you rather only be able to whisper or only be able to shout? No, whisper, girl, you'd be irritating people. At least you can sound sexy. <laughs> but I feel like that could get annoying too in some ways because everything you say what did you say? What, wait wait no yeah. I didn't hear you what did you but say? you know what I mean? Every moment. you can True. say do you, are you hungry? am I hungry? <laughs> <laughs> that is true but you know what I think too though like I'm thinking about I don't know if anybody ever watched um, Issa Rae's web series before Insecure it was called Misadventures of an Awkward Black Girl and so in that show there was a character and I can't remember his name I think it was like Dante or something but he he only whispered and then he ended up being a DJ and she always be like what what did you say <laughs> what and she's like speak up baby voice <laughs> Girl, that's okay. You'll get it was just so funny. You'll just get a speaker and a microphone. Now they have an app, so you can just put your voice on the phone, and they'll hear you. Right. <laughs> that is true. It is better yeah, than yelling well, at people. You can't muffle. People are going to be trying to put a muzzle on you. Right. It's just like they're going to be scared to ask you questions. Oh, my God. I don't want to ask her because she's going to yell. But isn't mm -hmm. and they come like here she comes, it's too loud, they too loud. I think that's so interesting though, that just based on the tone of your voice, people perceive certain things, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was just having this conversation like with my mom and my sister, and like I, I have it a lot with my therapist too. It's like because sometimes the tone can indirectly communicate things to people, even though that's not what they're saying and it's not what they right. mean. Sometimes how it comes across because of how other people have communicated those things to them in those tones allows you to receive it differently. So sometimes if you're like yelling and your tone is high, it can automatically like put people's defenses up before they even recognize that they have their defenses mm -hmm. up. So like, yeah, so that's something that I try and be like really cautious of and I am not perfect by any means. <laughs> yeah. Especially because you get really excited and you're just like, okay, I'm so excited. I want to tell this person. And and sometimes they just be <laughs> mad about but it. But you would be saying, I'm so excited. I want to, you know. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Now, Dee, I know you have to dip out very soon. So I don't know if you want to dip out now or if you want to ask the first few interview questions and then dip Come out. Come on, D. D. We're going down in the D. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I will, yeah, I can ask. Um, I'll probably dip out at like 6 55, 52. Um, so let's go. Okay. Let's see. So, Dr. Price, tell us about your college experience. What was the process of applying? Where did you attend college? What was your major? Wow. Okay. So I was pretty always a pretty good student. And I applied 
But I don't know. I don't think I then I would what I do now would never. But I don't, I think I only applied to UCLA and Long Beach State. I don't know if I applied anywhere else. I don't remember. I didn't know about HBCU, so definitely. And then I got it. I wanted to go to Long Beach State because my sisters went to Long Beach State. So I applied. I remember taking the SAT. I remember getting accepted to UCLA and Cal State Long Beach. I chose Cal State Long Beach. I originally majored in Brock, no, uh, radio television because I wanted to do news and be broadcast. And then I realized as I was in the major that if I wanted to be a journalist, I really should, should major in journalism with emphasis in broadcast journalism. So it should be journalism or mass communications with broadcast journalism. So I ended up switching my major to that. And I um, did it. I, I had a minor of speech communications. So I got a minor in speech communications and my bachelor's in broadcast journalism. I did internships right away. So I recommend for everybody to do that because that's how I got connected into radio and did my, I did a television internship. I did a radio internship. I did a newspaper internship. And I ended up, I worked for my college station, which was KLON at Long Beach FM 88.1. And I ended up getting an internship at 103.9 KACE, where it's all in the bigs. And I did did on air stuff. And then I looked and I, so that's kind of like my college experience. I had a, I was a transcript, I was a, uh, what did it say, telecommuter, not telecommuter, a commuter, a commuter. So I okay, yeah, commuter student. Yeah, commuter student because I worked at Aerospace Corporation after I got out of school, and um, it was a great experience. I also was doing acting at the time too, so I'd done other few little acting things, and I ended up meeting my manager, and that's how I got the internship with Kate Channel Two, with Kim Marin. I was his news assistant, and you know, it was a good experience. I had a, one thing I will say. I remember because I was black, everybody thought I was an EOP student. I remember that, and I remember them saying when I was taking my classes, I noticed the EOP. They always made you take a longer route. So if you took English, it was like you had to take English A and then English B. So English A was like one year, and English B was the second year. And then they assumed I was that, and I remember saying, asking everybody, why do I have to take English A and English B? And they're like, aren't you an ELP student? I'm like, no. And if I wouldn't have asked, so I ended up just taking English one on one. But if I would have asked that question, I would have had to take longer time to finish school. So I do always ask. Wow, that. That, I mean, I was going to say, like, that to me, it's frustrating. It's also like a microaggression and kind of where we are at in times right now is really with um, the uproar and the movement happening, right? We're in our second, I'm not going to call it a civil rights movement. I'm going to call it a human rights mm-hmm. movement. Uh, we're having a second human rights movement. And so now we're really talking a lot about microaggressions and how they are just really everywhere. And so for them to assume just because, uh, I, I'm, and I don't know, they may have assumed this just because you were black, yeah, that you were EOP student instead of, yeah, instead of looking at your records and seeing if you even needed to take those classes, because, okay, if I'm just, cause I'm an EOP student doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, I know there are certain classes that you have to take, 
But if you look at my transcripts and where I, if I did a placement test and all of those different things, you would know exactly what courses I would need to be in. And so it was like, they didn't even bother taking that time out right. to check that for right. you. They didn't. And so, you know, I, I was always the one, I was a hardhead student. I was to be good, that could be bad. I was a hardhead child, like, somebody could tell me I'd do something, I'd do this opposite. But for me, that worked in a positive in some cases because that means I didn't settle. So if somebody said, oh, you're not supposed to do that, I'd be like, why? And why not? I was always one of those, or you're supposed to do this. And so I always, always check to get another. I would always check. I would never go everything face down. And it happened to be actually a white white guy that told me, what, should, what did you get on your test? I remember him asking me, what did you get on your test? And I said, whatever the score was. He was like, you don't have to take A and B. You can just take English 101. So I remember, but if I would have never See, asked, I would have never known. So uh -huh. it's like, you have to, if something don't sound right, or even if it says, and it's like, well, well, why is everybody, why do I have to do that? You know, I was always one of those. Like, why? why do I have to do that? And then also, too, I got introduced to Black Studies when I went to college. So Dr. Marlana Karenga, you guys know who he is? He's talking about uh -huh. Yeah, he was my instructor. He was one of my professors. So I learned so much from oh. him and so much from um, Amin Ra. They were both our professors, and they, you know, they were just excellent. So we learned. I learned so much. So our next question is, or I guess we were talking a little bit about the the EOP. Um, or not EOP, just like one of your academic advisors. But I, I do tell students a lot of times, I say you can't just go by what your academic advisor tells you. You do have to be an advocate for yourself. You have to know the different requirements so that they are not misadvising you. Or if they do misadvise you, then you kind of know like, hmm, something's wrong, you know? So I think it's really important that you ask the why questions when you were in college instead of just letting someone guide you and then like be guided blindly in a way. So... Thank you for sharing that with our with our listeners so that they know that it's always important to advocate for yourself in any situation. So do you remember at all, like, I, like how was your college experience? I know some people are like, oh, I don't remember. It was so long ago. But some people are like, nope, I remember like it was yesterday. I, knew, I remember. <laughs> I remember. Oh, how I was, was it? I was very impressed with my, I didn't know any, the Black Studies thing really, that really had me both confused but empowered because it was like I was learning stuff I never knew about religion, about mm -hmm. you know being black. It was just like though they were powerful. But you know, Marlana, Dr. Marlana Karenga started Kwanzaa, so I was with some powerful people. And um, mm, yeah, he's the founder of Kwanzaa. He started it. Yes, that is beautiful when you like get to have people who are like foundational, like they're gonna go down in history. People are gonna remember their names for yeah. certain like yeah. things that took place. Right. Yeah, I love that. Cause I like, I think about in my African-American like studies classes in college, I just remember that being um, like that being a very transformational class for me as well. And then just learning so much in about black culture that I hadn't been taught. And so that's why we always say, what they teach you in the history books, it's not even that it's a watered down version of history. Sometimes it's just not history yeah, at all. Right. <laughs> it's the white version right. of history. 
So I always, I always encourage students like take an Afro studies class, like read some books that are not just written by like white professors or white people, because really do you learn your true history? And like today, and I might blow some people's mind, but today, like on Twitter, it went viral that Beethoven was black. And so everybody's like, wait, what? Beethoven was black. Like I knew I loved his songs and all this stuff. And it became viral and people made a lot of really funny memes. And so they were talking about how like there's this like whitened version of history and sometimes how they like put these white faces on people or make them seem white so that so that these heroes and these idols that we have, that they look white instead of looking black and brown. So what I will definitely say is it's incredible to be alive at this time right Mm -hmm. now, because we get to, we get to see so many myths getting busted. So we get to really see how corrupt our education system is and how they've been watering down our history and not teaching the right history and then asking us to be at these standardized test levels and then you get to and most people don't get that bubble popped until they get to college um and it's really hard for them to like understand some of these concepts and i'm like nah like and for me as as a black woman I learned all this stuff from my parents. So thank God that they knew their history because then I was able to learn that as well mm-hmm. as I as I grew up and got older. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So I do want to ask some questions. So like we definitely brought you on because we really wanted to talk about the Black College Expo, the National College Resources Foundation. How did that launch? How did the Black College Expo launch? I always love hearing this story and just kind of like, how it, it how it got started and then how it just kind of blew up from well, that moment. I think it just I think we all are here with a purpose and I think really God shaped and formed us for what he wants us to do and what he has for us. And I think for me, I thought I was gonna be here as a big record producer. You know, I was in the music business, I was doing these big deals with Clive Davis and Rest of Soul Andre Harrell and um you know, all these people, um, and Tommy Matola, Bob Jamerson, Jimmy Iveen, and you know, those are the names I was in that business. And I really thought it was gonna be uh-huh. like this big manager, producer, artist. I was managing a really hot artist at the time who had a really big platinum record out, and I thought I was supposed to be doing that, but it was just like every time something would happen go, something would happen, like something would happen. And I think that was God uh-huh. there calling me what I'm supposed to do, but I always, when I was in the music business, like deep in the music business, I had always managed young people. They were always under 18, so I always had to make sure that they were, you know, helping them with their money, helping them with their content, making sure they were doing what they're supposed to do. And I think um, that made me see I really love helping people, and I really love helping young people. And um, Mm -hmm. that's when I knew that I love helping people. And then I started, um, then one day I was working in radio, actually. And uh, when I left radio, I started a marketing firm. And at the marketing firm, we one day we're talking about black colleges. And the young lady I brought over from radio that was our secretary when I started this business, her grandfather was president at Prairie View, I want to say. And it was like, Mm -hmm. we should do a black college expo. And then we just said we should do a black college event. And we said Black College Expo. And then we hosted our first one. We did it. We tried to do it actually in 99, but we couldn't raise enough money 
And so then we did start in 99 doing 2000. So we did it in 2000. And that first day when we did it, when my girlfriend, one of my best friends started saying, you know, I'm going to go to the Black College Expo. She didn't know I was doing it. She didn't know it was me. And she's like, I'm like, girl, that's the event I'm doing. She's like, that's your event. I'm taking Kevy to the Black College Expo. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. I said, we have something. But I didn't know we were going to end up with 35,000 people out there waiting in line for two and a half hours to come in. So it is just like, that's when I knew that people want information on black colleges and mm-hmm. people want information on college. And, you know, they sent out the riot gear police thinking it was going to be a riot, but people were there for information about college. Mm-hmm. And that's when I knew. So, that's, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to, no, I was going to say that it's just such a powerful story. Just being like, this is this thing that I wanted to plan. It like was this passion project and it ended up turning into this really big event. And then even like thinking and like, and sometimes when I hear you, like they brought the police out in riot gear, it, it frustrates me because it's like, okay, this is literally just an expo so people can get information. And so why do you think that we're rioting? No one's protesting, you know, and it kind of comes with this over-policing of black and brown communities, but it's beautiful that people were still able to come. They were willing to wait in line and they were willing to get this yeah, information. Yeah, and yeah. then like two and a half hours. And then seeing it, mm-hmm. and then seeing it like 20 years later and how much of it, it's evolved. Cause I remember going to the Black College Expo when I was a kid and being like, oh, this is like a really cool concept. And like, still not even understanding like why college was so important mm-hmm. because I was so young mm-hmm. at the time. And then, and it's really cool for it to be full circle for me to, to be like to have gone to the Black College Expo and then to now be working it as a college recruiter and then recognizing like this is a really powerful event for students to go to to get accepted to schools on the spot because I get so sad when I like am in schools in the spring and I'm talking to students and some students are like, oh, yeah, I'm a senior, but I didn't apply to any mm-hmm. colleges. I'm like, what do you mean you didn't apply right. to any colleges? And so there was a lot of information that I didn't get and understand really, I think, until I started traveling with you all with Cal State Monterey Bay. And I just learned so much. And I was just forever grateful for that knowledge and that information, because now when my friends will call me and they're trying to help their little cousins or their their little siblings, friends and their little siblings get into college and it's way past the deadline for any state schools, I'm like, look apply to the black colleges mm-hmm. that a lot of them do um, rolling mm-hmm. what's it called rolling rolling, mm-hmm. rolling admissions mm-hmm. a lot of them aren't as strict mm-hmm. on the gpas mm-hmm. and there's just a lot of opportunity that you're gonna get just for being um just for applying to these black colleges that you're not gonna get at a lot of these other schools so and then being able to say okay look you know, go to the National College Resources Foundation website and look through there. They have a ton of resources on their website that the students can go through and kind of figure out more. And so now it's like, I know what options they have. Mm-hmm. And like that, like makes me feel fulfilled because I always tell people, I'm like, it's not about rec- recruiting for the college that I work for. It's about recruiting you to your future and whatever is going to be the best option and best pathway for you. And sometimes that's not always a school I work for, but I want to make sure that you have the information that you need so that you can be successful and whatever you choose to do. Right. And then for you too, being that you went from a state school where 2.0 GPA and above, Mm -hmm. and then also when you got to where you're, when you, a lot of people understand, although the requirements are 2.0 and above, you're still competing for a spot. So if you're Mm -hmm. with a high demand, like a San Diego State, a Long Beach State, those schools, or even at at the one time, Mm -hmm. before you left, 
you did such a great job. It was hard, you know, to get in there. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, then they're looking. So yes. that's why we always tell students they don't understand. But it's like, that's why we talk about keep your grades up because it's not really, it's like, think about it as, I don't want to say a game, but the game of life. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you don't want to be weeded out or you don't want people to say, oh, we had to go to this tier person. You want people to right. you want to be able to be not counted out. So, you know, you right. schools that have like 135,000 applications, they can't accept 130, even if they have 50,000 applications. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Four to five thousand students. Students, right? And when you when you're getting a school, when you're at a school that's receiving such a high volume of applications, especially when they're reading every single application, oh, yeah, right. it there has to be at some point where they're like, okay, we like, and I know that some schools don't review every single application if they don't meet certain requirements. Our campus reads every single application. So (laughs) yes, we read every, for all the freshmen, we read every single application twice. And so, and for transfer students, we evaluate their applications. They only get one review technically from admissions, but they get a full evaluation. So we spend a very long time on their files, making sure that the courses and everything are evaluated properly. And so when you're receiving such a high volume of applications, I know for the Cal State, because a lot of it is just on the eligibility index. Like sometimes I get like kind of sad, like, oh my gosh, I wish I still worked at a Cal State because I didn't have to read any applications. And so they just ran, they just ran a little analysis and did their numbers and did what they had to do and they chose their class. And so if you didn't have a certain eligibility index, you might not have been in the running for a certain school. And when they do major-based admissions, your major could determine whether or not you get admitted. And so we don't do major-based admissions, which is nice. And so students can apply and they don't they can apply to our school and be a good fit for our school and not get it and not get into their major, but still get into the campus. So that's, so that's something that's really interesting. So I'm really grateful for where I am and the connections that I made and how much I've gotten a chance to learn really about all the systems, because I don't think I could have a podcast like this only having been at Cal State Monterey Bay. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do want to say thank you. It's been such, it's been so great just knowing you over the years and being able to learn so much from you and from the Black College Expos and getting connected to other people in higher education and what they're doing and just understanding these systems at like a much higher level. Yeah, thank you. No, I, I'm just glad, I, I'm just glad to, I am so glad to work with you and you have me crying over here with te- little tears because it's like, that's why I do what I do. That's why I work seven days. That's why I work and do all, because it's about feeding you. And so when you hear, I'm starting to hear so many people that are professionals now in their fields or business owners are doing extremely well. And they're just like, you know, I came to the Black College Expo and, you know, I remember coming in and it's just like mm-hmm. all those lines. It's just like, it's just amazing. You know? Yeah. And so it's, when I hear you, it's, it's like, ugly. it's amazing. Oh, good. I'm like, it's such a great feeling to be, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh my gosh, I just remember this. So you are doing the, you are doing great work and I'm, I'm, I know you're not going to let nobody ever tell you that you're not doing good work. Um, and just like hearing how much passion you have behind everything. So we do really like, because you're a part of our HBCU series, the one question we are asking everyone, is why is attending an HBCU important? 
You know what? HBCUs have turned on some of the most incredible leaders. You know, you could go on Martin Luther King, Oprah Winfrey. I mean, you could go on and on and on. It's so many, like most of the uh, political leaders, most of the people that own businesses. It's just like, even I was just thinking, even my little like niece, my, she manages, she had, uh, she's one of the first black talent agents, uh, Andrea Nelson Miggs. She had Beyonce, mm-hmm. Halle Berry, Tim. Uh, Tim's story, Cedric uh, the Entertainer. And I just think, even though she went to Duke, she still wanted to make sure she did a year at Spelman. She wanted to have the HBCU experience because it creates leaders. I have I can look uh-huh. at our students that I could tell you, and it's nothing to sh- shut up. It's just a certain kind of confidence, a certain kind of yeah. When you talk to people who have graduated from HBCUs, they are freaking firecrackers. They are leaders. They Mm -hmm. are entrepreneurs. They're innovators. They're proud. It's like, it is just such a different type of individual. There is not a militant feel. It's just a confidence feel. And it's because our HBCUs teach you your history. They feed on Mm -hmm. you your professionalism, who you should be, how you should act, how you should carry yourself, what you should know. And when you start learning and knowing, for instance, like you said, Beethoven was black and, you know, religion, you know, black religion, Jesus was black and everybody comes from black people. And when you start hearing and Mm -hmm. knowing those things, your chest goes out because you've been told the opposite, that you're nobody, you're Mm -hmm. nothing, you're this. But when you're told every day how bright of a star you are, how they care about you, how they come and help you when you're trying to move into your place or you're looking for an internship. Your professors will pick up the phone and call people to help you get an internship. They'll come over and help you move. Mm-hmm. They'll, you don't have anywhere to go. Your president of the university will invite you over for Thanksgiving dinner because you don't have a family. Those are the things that HBCU do. They bred you. They feed you. They uplift you. They support you. They empower you. And you don't get that mm-hmm. when you go to a PWI. You don't get that. So that's why it's No, important. you don't. And I think for our community, mm-hmm. more now than ever, we need to think about it athletically. Why not have some of the best mm-hmm. athletes go to HBCUs? Why not have some Jeez. of the best Absolutely. doctors, the best lawyers? They produce the most lawyers, the most engineers, the most people with postgraduate de- degrees. They come from HBCUs. Mm-hmm. So we're not saying it has to be your all-in be-all, but that should be a part of your culture. That should be a part of right. forming your education to mm-hmm. the fabric of attending an HBCU. It, it makes you, it. you know, I had a student, I'll tell you, I had a student who was the valedictorian of her class. She was in Orange County. She was a biracial kid. She got a full ride to Shaw University. She was there her first mm-hmm. year. She was calling like every week. I don't want to be here. It's such a huge difference. I want to come home. And I kept telling her, Angelique. You got to know that, you know, you might not be able to get a full ride somewhere else. You know, so we kept talking to her. We would bring her in when she came home for breaks. And it's like she wrote me a letter when she graduated. And if I read you that letter, it was like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for making me be there because I met my best friends. I learned what it was to be a black woman. I met people who were going to be my bridesmaids in my wedding. I've learned so much about what it was to be black, so much to what it means to be a woman, so much to what it means to be a black woman in America. It is 
taught me so much. I could have not paid for what I received going to HBCU. She ended up doing being salutatorian. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was salutatorian for um, uh, Shaw University. She ended up being Miss Shaw University. She ended up joining a sorority. She ended up finding what she really wanted to do, and that's working with kids with autism. And I mean, she's doing phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Work right now. And it's like, if she wouldn't have had that experience, and I mean, I have so many stories to share like that. I have people that are doctors right now that have gone to, uh, you know, I have a young lady that's a doctor now, but her undergrad was at University of Miami and she got her master's at, but she did her school at Howard. And she said, I cannot Mm -hmm. explain to you my experience of what I got from attending Howard for med school. I cannot explain to you my feeling, which I would not have gotten if I would have gone anywhere else. My experiences from going to Miami University of Miami versus Howard, I cannot describe the 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 closeness, the the empowering feeling that I feel. It is like she wanna cry talking yes. about it. So it's like oh, it, it is, I know and it makes you like, wow, you know. Right. It it's incredible. It just to think about how much power and self I can't think of the word right now, but just kind of like self-empowerment you get from like attending a school and like being around people that look like you. And and let me tell you this. Mm -hmm. The other thing that they all say, I didn't understand diversity until I went to HBCU because there's diversity Mm -hmm. at HBCU. You have people from different parts of the world. You have people from different Mm -hmm. cultural backgrounds. You have people from different lifestyles, even the South versus the East Coast versus the West. It's different, the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, the different, it's a different <laughs> lifestyle. And I learned so much mm-hmm. about Black people and about how we're all different, yet the same, but all right. different. Yes. And I think that's the other lesson, I, too. Yes, I love that. Because I always talk to, and I remember saying this to CSUMB before I left, and this being a big thing um, when I was interviewing for my current position was when they asked me the question about diversity and why out-of-state recruitment was important because at Cal State Monterey Bay, we didn't do any out-of-state recruitment until I got there. And I had been working on that from literally the day I started until the day I left was out-of-state recruitment. What does it look like? Why is it important? And so one of the things that I kept telling them, I said, diversity looks like a lot of things and people usually only see it on the racial ethnicity level. I said, but it's so much more than that. It's about your mindset. It's about where you geographically grew up, what type of religion you were in, what your politics are. All of those different things create diversity. And so when you're able to admit students from all of these different places from around the nation and around the world, you get to bring all these different mindsets to this one place where they can all really learn off of each other. And if you've never been exposed to them, then you you have this very narrow view and very narrow mindset of what humanity is like and what you know and so that's one of the things that i really like about out-of-state recruitment and getting to meet people from different backgrounds and so to be able to go to an hbcu and meet different black people from different backgrounds because i think a lot of times we live in this bubble and we assume everyone is the same as us and that's not true at all and especially because the media only gives us a monolith most of the time so we don't get to see uh the the story about black conservatives or black people who are in different religions other than christianity and um 
and like nation of Islam or Muslim, right? Mm -hmm. And then black people who are from the Midwest or black people who are from North Dakota and Iowa, which are states that sometimes we often forget about. So being able to have that experience and get to meet people from all those different places is really incredible. And then people that look like you, and then you're like, oh, okay. So there's more than one way to think. And like, now I can understand this this mindset a little bit clearer than before when I've only interacted with people who look like me, who are also this, like, believe in all the same things that I believe mm -hmm. in. And so one thing I was telling, I've been telling a lot of people as we are going through this revolution right now, is that one, I'm not going to argue with anybody who doesn't want the information in the age of information. Mm -hmm. And two, People will always give you the facts and the information for stuff that makes them comfortable. So if they're uncomfortable with it, a lot of times they're not going to, they're going to challenge you with facts and statistics that they're comfortable mm -hmm. with. And so that, so that's always interesting. And so now when you get to meet other people who look like you and they think differently, sometimes it makes you have to have those uncomfortable conversations mm -hmm. and do different things. Yeah. Yeah. No, right. So that's why. And then you know what? I, I have another student that was valedictorian actually at Clark Atlanta. He could have gone anywhere, but mm -hmm. he ended up choosing Clark and he got into an honors program. But he said when I when he graduated from Clark as valedictorian, he had every college president in the country trying to get him to come to his um um to their school mm -hmm. and they were offering him everything like he was an athlete you know how athletes were. Mm -hmm. they were doing him like that as a student and it was like it was so unbelievable to see that and that was from the brain they mm -hmm. all wanted him and he ended up choosing duke because not only did they offer him free everything they said you know what we'll give you free medical and dental so they gave him a medical dental oh. plan they gave him an yes. they gave paid for everything and then, you know, it's just like he said, when I got there, though, I was so far ahead of my peers because I learned how to mm -hmm. grind at HBCU. I learned how to work with mm. less at HBCU. So when I went to Duke, they were looking at me like, wow, because most of the students have been privileged, privileged learners, mm -hmm. everything given to them, even though they might have been smart. But he said that he took off. He was way ahead of them. And they all was like, dude, slow down. But it's because of what he was given from going to HBCU. I love that. See, this is proof right here <laughs> that HBCUs are going to educate you almost better than, I'm not going to say almost, are going to educate you better than the PWIs. Mm -hmm. and, and I love that. And so we have to start recognizing that these are great institutions for us to be attending. And we should not think of them as a second thought. They should be a first right. thought in our mind. Right. Well, I do want to ask you some, I want to go back to um, your foundation a little bit, to the Black College Expo. So what kind of resources and programs and opportunities are available at the Black, the Black College Expo and through your foundation? Okay, so our foundation is National College Resources Foundation. And basically our mm -hmm. mission is to curtail high school dropout rate. And to, so, so let me just say it like this, because a lot of people don't know that we're a 501c3 either. So National Resources mm -hmm. Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit educational enhancement organization. Our mission is to curtail mm -hmm. high school dropout rate and increase degree and or certificate enrollment among underserved and underrepresented at risk, low resource 
homeless and foster students. You know, our goal is to focus on achievement gap. We want to just mm-hmm. we are we want to focus on so we our focus is achievement gap, workforce gap, and economic disparities. Our goal is to close mm-hmm. the race to, to end racism and racial equality, inequality. So that's what Natural College mm-hmm. Resources is. So in that, that's why we have all these programs. We have a program focused on in schools, which is a movement enrichment program, where we go in schools and we confront the disparities in the educational system. And we basically mm-hmm. do what we call holistic intervention, mentoring, college and career planning, college readiness, internship and career and student athlete assistance. Then we also have a program, our STEAM program, which is to get more students mm-hmm. of color and women to go into STEAM fields, science, technology. Now, our A is to the fourth power. So it's science, technology, engineering, art, agriculture, aviation, and aerospace and math. So there's oh. those areas. So we are trying to teach that. Now, we have a partnership, you probably don't know, with UC San Diego. And that partnership is to, for them to build a liquid fuel rocket laboratory so we could get students to be the first to launch a rocket in the space. And we're trying to wow. diversity. We gave the, we raised money through a donor and the donor's dollars that we gave, which was over thousands of dollars to get them to increase diversity at UC San Diego and to get them to increase diversity in the whole STEM area. So that is one. And then we also have our student athlete program in which we, look at uh, ways to make sure that our HBCUs, along with other coaches, but mainly HBCUs, who don't have a level playing field when it comes to recruiting and students. So Mm -hmm. our student athletes have a chance to get recruited by HBCUs. We we host a HBCU football combine and a basketball showcase for girls and guys. So a lot of them have the opportunity to get recruited. Now this has generated over 878 scholarships. So well over $100 million in scholarships uh, have been generated through that. And then we have our College Connections, which are our expos. So our expos are where we do the Black College Expo in 12 markets, L.A., Oakland, Atlanta, D.C., Maryland, um, uh, Houston, Dallas, New York, Chicago, Miami, uh, Seattle, San Diego, Sacramento. Mm-hmm. So 12 market, Chicago. And then we also, so we do that. And then we do the Latino College Expo in Los Angeles. Um, and then we oh. also do Student Think Steam Expo, which is to help students, you know, have hands-on experience with those uh, acronyms I mentioned. So Black College Expo is a national thing. We've been doing it for, this is our 21st year. We've helped over a half a million kids get into college. We've given away over a million dollars in scholarships. And we've helped students have act like with access to over a billion dollars in scholarships and grants. What that means is that they may call us, they need more money for college. We help them find additional money. We also connect them, we know we might help them with their FAXFA to fill it out so they can maximize their financial aid. Those are the things that we do. That's what our program is. It's with our mission statement, those are the tactical things that we do to help support the mission statement. That's that's beautiful. I love that. So did you ever expect, when you did your first Black College Expo, did you ever expect for it to get this big and then to also be creating a foundation 
kind of t- as a result of the no. Black College Expo? No. That's why people know us more as Black College Expo, the National College Research Foundation, mm-hmm. because Black College Expo came first. The foundation nonprofit came because we were using a, a, a one of the partners because uh, a lot of the sponsors that want to sponsor, they were like, well, do you have a 501c3? Are you a nonprofit? And so one of our partners was like, oh, yeah, you could just use mine. And then we were getting so many people that want to do that. He was like, Teresa, you need to get your own nonprofit. You're doing the work. <laughs> so you need to go mm-hmm. ahead. I'll give you my person who helped formulate my nonprofit. You're doing the work. So why don't you just go ahead and apply? So we actually didn't become a 501c3 until February 2000. 15, but we've been doing the Black College Expo since 2000. We started planning in 1999, and now, one years Mm -hmm. later, I would have never thought we would be doing, I did it at just like, you know, one time, two times. I didn't think we'll be going 21 years, you know, you know, like, I didn't know. Right. But as again, you know, we Mm -hmm. make our plans, but God plans our steps. Steps, yes. Amen to that. We That is so true because there's been so many times where I'm always like, okay, this is what I'm trying to do. And God be like, all right, cool, but this is what you don't yeah. do. <laughs> and you just have to listen and follow the steps and the path that he gives you and that he right. lays out to you. And sometimes it's never anything that you imagine, but it's so much better than what you thought you had planned for yourself. Right. And so I love that. So now we do know that the Black College, well, at least I know, but I don't know if our listeners know that the Black College Expo is not the only expo that you put on. So what other expos do you put on? I know you talked a little bit about the yeah, STEAM Expo. The um, Expo, which is basically to help the Hispanic community understand that they're Hispanic serving institutions, that will have certain programs and resources for them so that they can strive, so they can get their degrees, so they can win, so they can be successful, so they can connect to financial resources, educational resources, scholarship resources, so they can win and knowing what. So that's kind of like, so that's why when we say underserved, underrepresented, it's pretty much black and brown. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the statistics, you'll see that we're still not at 100% graduation rate for African-Americans mm-hmm. or for Hispanic students. Now, our Asian mm-hmm. community is that they're probably, they are the highest graduating uh, group. They graduate higher than anybody. Mm-hmm. And then it's our white community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Asians graduate mm-hmm. at a higher rate. They are more affluent at a higher rate when you look at hey, wow. whatever. <laughs> And then they also, when you look at professions, they're at a higher rate. Money, everything. When you look at the population, you look at the percentage of the population that's doing well. So, you know, uh, our community, you know, when you look at Juneteenth being a, a holiday and now they're looking at it being a national paid holiday, you know, that you know, mm-hmm. emancipation and freedom of slavery or whatever, but it's like, what does that really mean? Our black dollar does mm-hmm. not resonate in the community and turn over enough times in our community before it goes out. Our dollar probably turns over five mm-hmm. times. You know, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, like 35 times mm-hmm. before it goes out of the community. We need to turn our dollar mm-hmm. over in our community. Because if you do that, it's not about being, you're saying that to be racist or militant or anything. That's not why I'm saying that. I'm saying because if no. you're not going to depend on the government, if you're not going to compete on these mm-hmm. state programs, on all these, uh, I feel like all those programs are a hindrance to get you to depend on the mm-hmm. system. 
So if I give you a check for $900 a month, you'll get used to that $900 a month. You might not want to strive for doing more. So at the same time, yes, right. it's helping, it's also hindering. And I think we need to look at how do we take our dollars to build our community so that we don't have to ask the government for dollars, so that we don't have to ask mm-hmm. these programs for county dollars. If, we, if every black person paid $5 that were born into their community, every debt, you know, everybody paid $5. Every year, every black person paid $5 in their community. You wouldn't have to depend on governmental programs. Mm-mm. You know? So that's what I'm saying. It's mm-hmm. not about saying that we need to take our dollar and we need to turn over our dollar in our communities so that there's more black right. businesses. There are more... So that you can support, you don't, you know, you build stronger communities. Mm-hmm. You build stronger communities, so right. those communities can go out and purchase stronger in owning. Owning is key. We need to own. Mm-hmm. We need to own business. Absolutely. We need to own property. We need to vote. Mm-hmm. Business. Right. Businesses, property, and voting <laughs> and just make our wealth grow right. and work for us. And I think it has been such a hard concept to grasp and such a, um, I don't want to say hard concept to grasp. I think sometimes it's just such a hard thing to do because we have been economically disadvantaged and purposefully right. Um, right. in a way. So it so it is really important. So I've been so happy to see on social media that everyone's been sharing here are black owned businesses in these counties and in these cities and here and there. And so recognizing like it does have to go beyond the bookstore and a restaurant, right? Like what other ways can we have right. black dollars, right. right? Like I love a good clothing company that has an actual storefront. I love there used to be... Um, um, and I was really sad to see it go, but there was a um, a cosmetic company called Filthy Cosmetics, and it was based out of Atlanta, Georgia, and it was a black owned company. Um, and so I, my one of my friends, my colleagues from work, she's the one who told me about it. And so right when I ordered my first products, she was going out of business, and I was so sad. And I was like, no. So you, you know, we call it is important that. that we you need to call her back and tell mm-hmm. her to apply for the grant for cosmet. There's a grant for beauty products right now. That is, I've been sending out to everybody. And I think the deadline is like the end of June. There's so many right now. Mm -hmm. Black is hot. Black is. Yes. And it's about time. I mean, it's like Mm -hmm. in the Bible, though, the last shall become Mm -hmm. first. Right now, it's unfortunate Mm -hmm. that we had to go through Mm -hmm. such extreme measures that someone had to lose their precious life. I got to say that again, their precious Mm -hmm. life to be a champion Mm. for change. Mm -hmm. You know, you go back to Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Mm -hmm. Megger Evers. They had to lose Mm -hmm. for something to win. And it's just like, it's not right. But in anything, there's always someone, you know, it's sacrifice. It's sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And I think you need to understand right. it is about sacrifice. And if you don't mm-hmm. stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And we have to work Absolutely. together. Absolutely. That's why National College Resources does all the different programs. Yes, we do a lot of stuff, but our community needs a lot of stuff. I couldn't just mm-hmm. do Black College Expo when I'm saying underserved, underrepresented. There's so many of right. us that are color, people of color that are underserved, underrepresented. Yes, yes, say that again. (laughs) Let me tell you something that I've been sharing lately. The Black Mm -hmm. Circus, 
Universal Circus, the owner, Ricky. Oh, I remember that circus. And we've been talking because I was a part of him expanding his circus to a national level. And I was supposed to, when I left radio, he actually asked me to be the general manager. But if it wasn't for him, I would not be where I was Mm -hmm. because he gave me $25,000 to start a marketing firm. So I just looked at that. That's about Mm. turning your dollar. So he can now look at the $25,000 that he gave me. Look at what it's done Mm -hmm. to be able to get me to get to this spot. But Ricky, when people call him Cedric Walker, I call him Ricky Walker. He is the reason. (laughs) But let me tell you something, though. When it, you probably never knew when he thinks about, when he gets animals for his circus, guess Mm -hmm. what? They don't give him the quality animals. The quality animal goes Mm. to the white circuses. Mm. The circuses of color, the black and brown circuses, Mm -hmm. the circus Vargas, the universal circus, they have to pick over the secondary animals. That's Mm. racist. That's Mm -hmm. inequality. That's Mm -hmm. what social justice is all about. That's what re-ending racism why should they because they're black in a brown circus or brown and brown brown as i say sometimes why should they Mm -hmm. have to pick over second class why they can't go for the top why they can't be like their counterparts that are lighter than them or white why they can't have Mm -hmm. the same pick exactly especially if they're paying the same money you know it and they have the same access to the money to pay for the the animals you know or whoever it, you're absolutely right like it you is never racism even thought about and it. it's see because you know it's like who would even think that exists and i'm just saying it because mm-hmm. we need to think deeper we have to think oh, yeah. deeper we have to know why is it deeper, that yes. the black colleges have to be a one you know a division one school i mean you know it's just like why do why is it so much tougher for them to get the facilities and to get the backers mm-hmm. and all the stuff? The talent is there. We know the talent is there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we are all over the league, all of them. So I'm just saying, it's just so many. I know there's so many. Uh, 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 what do you call it? Uh, Hall of Famers in the NFL that came from mm-hmm. HBCUs. Why are we still mm-hmm. struggling for the same opportunities? Yeah, it's true. And I think something I saw on social media that I thought was really powerful, because I don't know if you if you've seen this, but there have been TikTok is a very racist platform. I refuse to actually download it because of how racist it has been towards black influencers and black creatives. Because I don't know. And today we just we have a partnership with Warner Media. They are using TikTok Mm -hmm. as a platform to get to build their HBCU, HBO, HBCU, HBO Max channel. So what they're doing is mm-hmm. they're looking for people. They want it. They, this is a way for them to get. Now the CEO is thinking, okay, we want to get more people engaged in our channel. We want to be able to hire more black and brown interns. So let us go to uh-huh. Black College Expo. Let me go to National College Resources and let them know we have these paid internships. Now, part of the paid internship right. is to create a TikTok video. I wonder if they even mm-hmm. know that. Mm. Because now you say that, and it's like, we need to let them know that. Because we've posted now 
to everybody out there, mm-hmm. here's an opportunity for you to get paid and be a part of the entertainment industry. And what you have to do is create mm-hmm. these TikTok videos. Yes, right. So part of so part of what they did, which is one of the biggest things that they got a lot of flack about, is that when um, Black Lives Matter became the biggest hashtag on all social media platforms again, they blocked the hashtag. So, and and I don't use TikTok, so I don't know how you like look up anything like that. So I'm assuming that you wouldn't have even been able to look up hashtag Black Lives Matter and then see the different videos that have been going there. And a lot of the Black influencers have to work much harder at gaining like following and getting their videos being shown. And then there is a lot of like racist content that white teenagers will put up. And so a lot of, and because of these TikTok videos, a lot of white teenagers have actually have also lost their, um, their acceptances to the colleges that they confirmed to and wanted to go to because of some of the media that they put up. And so they're allowed to put up these very blatantly racist videos that TikTok won't won't block but then black people will put up something and maybe they'll use a certain you know hashtag black lives matter and then they'll get a message saying that this is against community standards and then their videos are getting taken down so there is this there's a page that i follow on instagram and i think it's i can't remember if it's just embrace black culture or embracing black culture you know, um, i know there are two so and you, know, you can't do that on facebook or instagram either you cannot promote yeah. black lives matter on facebook and that could be a political thing. That could be why. Mm-hmm. Because I, I'm saying this from experience. You cannot promote it mm-hmm. on Facebook or Instagram either. On Facebook, I do know that Facebook does does have a lot of policies I'm that we've you seen right time now, and time again. From experience, you cannot that, promote mm-hmm. black. I tried to promote black lives. That's what I'm telling you. You cannot. They will yeah. not approve it. Mm -hmm. And I, and I know that because I'm, because you see it and then it's like, oh, this content is considered X, Y, and Z. So it's like, we have to start calling out these platforms and, and it's hard because sometimes when this is the platform that everybody's on and everybody wants to see, but it's like, you're letting blatantly racist videos and people put on blackface and say that black people are lazy and this, and they deserve to die or whatever. And there was one video that was very crude and it was these two white teenagers. And there was a video on TikTok that went viral or a challenge on TikTok that went viral. And it's like, Oh, how they created me. And it was like, the these two white teens put the, how they created in words and then put very egregious things in there like oh doesn't have a dad that is poor is from this kind of a community is lazy eats watermelon like all this stuff and i was like are you kidding me and that video was allowed to be up but then you say black lives matter and all of a sudden your yeah, post gets blocked I so i because think it's political i'm not making an excuse for them but i think mm-hmm. looking at it as political content and that if they would have put after that white lives matter they probably would have been blocked too right well i don't know because well, i don't feel like find things- out yeah. Yeah. We have to find out because I think a lot of times it's like, and these are like the microaggressions that I've been talking to a lot of people about. I'm like, microaggressions are so small that they're normalized. And so people don't even realize that they're being microaggressive to you because it's been something so ingrained in our culture. So like I was reading this article it was on New York Times and I can't remember the author's name, but she said it was microaggressions are is like death by a thousand cuts. And so it's almost like when you get a paper cut, you know, like you don't know when you got cut, but you know that you did get cut and it hurts. Mm. (laughs) And so it's kind of the same thing. And so microaggressions, things happen, right? It's like getting pulled over 
and being a black person and them asking you whose car is this before they ask you for your license and registration. Well, officer, when you look at my license and registration, you'll see that the name matches up and that this is my car. You're not going to do that and ask that to a white person, but they've been told to do that. Or like the other day, me and my mom were walking out of our house and there was a police officer and he, there was no malice intent behind anything that he said but it was still a microaggression. We walked out of the house and he goes, oh, is that your house? Do you ladies own this house? And we said, yeah. And he goes, oh, but it's so beautiful. But why would exactly, that's my mom's saying. You could just say your house is beautiful. Exactly, that's, say, that's my point. Allow you to say, oh, I'm renting or whatever, if you wanted to say that. It would just be, thank mm -hmm. you. Exactly, and so, that and so that's like just a part of the microaggressions and the culture and those are the things that i feel like we're that we are trying to break down in a lot of different ways and it's hard because the social media that is mainstream is owned by a lot of white right, people right. and that's they say things are political that's why we need to create mm -hmm. again it goes to exactly own and then you have to deal with it and we need to support it as we create it so Mm -hmm. too, we have this, you heard of epigenetics. Epigenetics means that we have been, Black people have experienced trauma for the last 14 generations. So oh, yes. Mm -hmm. in your DNA. So it's not really, mm -hmm. so a lot of the things that we're dealing with, everybody deals differently, but it still carries on to our, through our ancestry, through us. So it's mm -hmm. how you parent, it's how you go to work, it's how you show up. But right. carried on in your DNA. Right. So there is a, so we, and we, we have to go since I'm going to ask you my last two questions, but I do want to say this. So as you said that, it made me think about, I don't know if you've ever seen, her name is Dr. Joyce. I can't remember like her last name. I think it's like McGarvey or something like that. And she has a lecture on post-traumatic slave syndrome. Mm -hmm. And so she talks about the generational trauma that has been passed mm -hmm. down. And so, yeah, it's, it's well, incredible. You can find it on YouTube. We're going to start love talks. I'm going to start a thing called Love Ooh, yeah. Talks. And in that, I interviewed mm -hmm. a, I interviewed a, um, a Dr. Jashana Johnson, who actually, when I have students that want to be psychologists, I refer them to her. She has her own practice. Mm -hmm. We'll take them in as interns. And she also guides them as to what they need to do. Because a lot of people don't know, you can go from getting your undergrad to your doctoral per program as a psychologist. Most people think they have to go undergrad, then, uh, you know, masters and then get your doctorate. You could go straight from undergrad to get your doctorate mm -hmm. in psychology. So she talks to people a lot about that, but she's the one that talks about epigenetics. She's a, she's phenomenal. And she's one of the first people on the show that I just kind of created just cause God put it on my heart, mm -hmm. but it's like, mm -hmm. that's going to be, so we started a TV network and the whole purpose is mm -hmm. to create a network so we can have our own. So I want everybody that's listening to this interview yes. to please subscribe right now. We're starting as a YouTube channel network, but it's going to go into its own like Netflix, Hulu. And it's to give content creators a space to share their content and not have to go through all this red tape. So look at it as a right. new millennial BT. We're going to focus on uh -huh. human interest stories, short film, and cartoon and animation. It is our URL is NCR TV Network. So it's youtube.com forward slash NCRF TV Network. You better join today, Nettie. I need you and Dee to join today. Yes. Oh, I have already subscribed. <laughs> so the whole thing is to create a space. We're going to actually launch our first show 
this Sunday. It's featuring Crystal Westbrook from the Westbrook Show on BT. She has a thing where she is excellent at decorating dorms and apartments. So she, we pretty much got students that are nominated to get their dorms and apartments redone. And Crystal does this whole makeover for under a hundred dollars. And she's done some for now. So it's dorm over is our first show that we're going to be releasing. That's exciting. Like really well, yeah. I'm so, I'm excited to start watching it. And Jabril Mack, yes. right? Dexter's yes. son, his week, is it weekly? That's the other kind of yeah, yeah, weekly animation. So please support mm -hmm. Jabril. He was a huge, uh, like he's won so many contests in cartoon animation. He's won some Warner Brother awards. He's won some other awards. He, you know, went to USC, so he's really good at animation. So we'll be getting some of his shows. We'll be getting some short films that have made it and won awards on the whole film mm -hmm. festival circuit. Mm -hmm. We have a film coming, Eyes of March, that's won two film festivals, and we will have that film. Mm -hmm. We'll be releasing on our platform, too. So we're going to have some great stuff. And if anybody has content out there, please send it to info at thecollegeexpo.org, info at thecollegeexpo.org for now. Cool. Thank you, T. So the last two questions that I want to ask you before we get out of here today is, um, one, what should students, parents, and counselors prepare when attending any of your expos? And two, what advice would you have for any students that are listening and getting ready to start their journey to college? Okay, so you're talking about... Uh for like incoming freshmen, or are you talking about rising seniors in high school? Either, I mean, either or. So that can be for students I'll who are rising. Um, okay. Yeah, or in, even transfer students as well. Okay, so here's my thing. For actually on our website, we do a step-by-step -step of what everybody should be doing, and it's under four students. The other thing is, is it, it, the main thing is, is what, Rising seniors should be doing is doing virtual tours online right now of college campuses. Start thinking about what you want to major in and look for schools that have your major. Start if you, you really should be starting scholarships. Scholarships start as early as fourth grade. You should be starting looking for scholarships. Now, if you haven't, we always get people last minute. So start writing like maybe my career essay and use that as your base to cut and paste for different essays. I would look at trying to do at least 10 essays a week to try to get scholarships because that's your main thing. I would also, you know, start working on the um, on your financial aid because October 1, you can start applying for financial aid. So and the, the this is 2020. So they'll be looking at 2018 taxes. Um, I would also look at I know a lot of people that are rising seniors are trying to fit, you know, those are the things I would be doing right now. Making sure your A through G is met, making sure if you have any classes that you can retake, if you have a D, retake those classes. Counselors, I would make sure that our students apply for to at least 10 schools because you can fit 10 schools on your FAFSA. And if you wanted to do more schools, you could always go in, take schools off and put schools on. But you want to have a lot of options. You also want to look uh -huh. at what kind of college do you want to attend? A big college, a small college? Do you want to go out of state? And if you are, what kind of environment do you want to be in? If you're a student getting ready to go to college, you want to look at what 
like internships. I would start looking at that now. Also, what kind of jobs can you do while you're in school so you can make the extra money? I would also look at my roommate. Like when you're choosing your roommate, <laughs> make sure you mm-hmm. look at that. And, you know, roommate, <clears throat> it might not want to be your best friend. Sometimes your best friends when you go to college might end up being, I had a niece, her best friend and her were roommates. Now they're not friends at all. So just make sure that you look at all of that, uh, making sure you get your checklist ready for when you go. If you're not going to be on campus and you're doing virtual learning, if you're doing a, you know, make sure that you prepare yourself. Make sure you look at how to study. Mm-hmm. Make sure you read things. Make sure you uh, talk to your professors. Get to know to your professors. Do the meet with them online. Let them know what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go. Get to know them so that you can earn the best mm-hmm. grades. Also, if you, for people that are saying they're taking a gap year, please feed your brain. <laughs> please take a class that you normally wouldn't take. Please do something that is going to, elevate you and elevate your game. Don't just sit and do nothing because you're taking a gap year. Don't just sit and work. Do something to, mm-hmm. to uh, you know, 72% of college students want to be business owners. Look at what we're going to be hosting an entrepreneur summit, August 5th. Maybe that's something you could come and find out what it takes to be a business, to start a business. How can you get connected with other people that are successful in business? So look at ways, depending on what you want to do, write a goal list, write down three short-term goals, three to five, and three to five long-term goals. Do a vision board, put stuff on your vision board of how you see yourself, what you want to have, what you want to acquire. You're going to see the contract with yourself. You're going to do very well. You're going to start to do those things because you made a contract with yourself and you're seeing it every day. Those are the things that I would look at and do. If you're a transfer student, all those things I said still apply to you. Do not take a gap year and not do nothing to feed your brain and elevate your game. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Price, for coming on today, for giving us your incredible nuggets of wisdom. I really loved it. I learned so much. I'm always so grateful for you and your energy and your spirit that you bring with you everywhere. So thank you again. And we are going to wrap this episode up. Do you want to tell tell our our listeners where they can find you at? What's the best uh, platform to follow you on? Yes, I would love to do that. So we are National College Resources Foundation. Our website is ncrfoundation.org, ncrfoundation.org. If you put in Black College Expo, it'll take you there too. If you put in the College Expo, it'll take you there too. Uh, If you put in the Latino College Expo, it'll take you there too. But it's NCR Foundation. (laughs) Our social media handles are NCR Foundation. That's on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Black College Expo is on all those three platforms. Latino College Expo is on all those three platforms as well. Also, make sure you subscribe today to our television network, NCRF TV Network. YouTube, so you would go, yeah, I don't want to say it, but I'm going to be old school, www.youtube.com <laughs> forward slash NCR Foundation. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, NCR TV Network. NCR TV Network. Nettie, Miss Nettie, <laughs> make sure that you look at our graduate, grad, grad, black graduate. We did a black graduate rites of passage. It's on our 
TV network. It is phenomenal. We have artists. We have known artists. We have celebrities giving shout outs. It is phenomenal. And it is on our, as soon as you go on our YouTube page, you will see it. It's about an hour and a half, but it is a show. It is a show. Kel Mitchell, Yo-Yo, Brian McKnight. It goes on and on and on. Oh, that's so exciting. Well, thank you so much, T, for sharing all that. And y'all, that's it for today's episode. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe to Admitting It on all social media, aka social media platforms. And you can email any questions, suggestions, or fan mail to admittinit at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in to another lecture of Admitting It at the University of Netty and D. Apply your knowledge today. Bye! Bye. Bye.